0: Oh, I was going to ask, uh, because John Nicholson, welcome back, and commiserations on turning. Is it 40 or 50? I can't remember which one it is. No, but... yeah,
1: just 10 more, just
0: 60. I, I have a person close to me who is also 60. It doesn't mean anything. It just means in Scotland you get a free bus pass. So have you enjoyed the free buses?
1: It's absolutely fantastic, man. You can get to travel for like 16 hours on a bus all over Scotland for nothing. It is amazing.
0: And have you done that? Have you been from the Croft all the way around Yeah.
1: (laughs) Actually, no, I haven't left the house (laughs)
0: because
1: of uh, the situation. But uh, in theory, I could go up to back uh, at no charge at all, which is amazing.
0: I must come with you and I will be reading. Was football better in the old days or is now better than back then? Or as I call it, Gareth Southgate once said, I love football, but I hate the industry. So you agree with Gareth, essentially. (laughs)
1: Uh, I think it's always wise to agree with Gareth, really. He's such a wise old man, even despite the fact being eight years younger than me. Mm. The, the raison d'etre for the book was essentially to try and answer the question which everybody already feels they know the answer to. Because most people's answer is yes, of course it was better in the old days. But then we don't really know which old days people are talking about. Because, you know, if you're 40 now, maybe the old days of the early 90s or mid 90s, you know, or, or it could be the 80s. Or If you're a 70, it might be the 60s. Who knows? So, you know, I wanted to look at it as a sort of broad brush approach to it and see, you know, how we might assess which really were the, the best days. And ultimately, I came to a conclusion that, you know, there's two different things. As you say, there's the industry, uh, the business, and then there's the game and those are two separate things which i think have been conflated in recent years.
0: Yeah, you seem to have this 80% figure that 80% of football is the same. It's just the other 20% that gets on your nerves and has evolved and if you want to learn about it do read the book. It's a tenner on paperback, free to borrow on Kindle as an ebook alongside all of Johnny's books including the two that we talked about on May the 12th, 2020. So it's been a long 18 months I have now done 200 of these this will go up as the 200th football library show so um I, I wanted just a round number uh 199 was Stuart Cosgrove by the way so this is oh, like dessert Stuart
1: yeah yeah so he's uh, St. Johnson's biggest fan
0: is Stuart that is quite right and um we I haven't spoken to him yet but I will talk to him all about Saints and about Off the Ball which you've been on have you been on to plug this book?
1: No, I haven't actually. No, mm. I love Off the Ball. It's <laughs> it's a phenomenally um, uh, colloquial show. Um, the language is just fantastic. it that they use being very west of Scotland. All his tams very west of Scotland. And uh, yeah, I do love it. It's it it probably doesn't play well in England because nobody would be able to understand what anyone's saying.
0: Do you know that but that I is correct? Just... Uh, Mum used to go yeah. out with a guy Fee Fife from Mark Inch, and he would listen to Off the Ball on Saturdays, and I really would. I'd try and listen in and try and get the references. I'd get the accent, because I'm familiar with the Scotch accent. I'm just checking to see if it's on on Christmas Day, if it's in the schedule. No, they've postponed it. They've got the Queen, Jackie Bird's top of the Scots, the key sessions. But it will be on Boxing Day, so if you want your fix of Off the Ball, Tam Cowie and Stu Cosgrove. Uh, Then listen to Off the Ball. And that's pertinent because there is a chapter in your book where as a kind of either wrestle tag team or kind of thought for the day aspect, you give over at least 25 pages of this book uh, to Andy McInnes. So can we quickly big up him? Uh, Why did you choose him? And uh, why did you well, want uh, to have something I've about Scotland in the book?
1: i been a, a Scottish football journalist now for probably about 25 years. And he knows more about Scottish football than I've ever, I'll ever, i ever know. And um, it's, but having lived here for so long, it struck me that Scottish football experience is different from uh, English football experience, especially when you get to the top, top level. Because Scottish football has never been infected with the Premier League disease. It tried to sell its soul. Uh, but it failed you would buy it. And ironically, that has saved it from the worst excesses of the kind of financial, of the of the Premier League. And it, Scottish football remains in the old school way. If you come and watch football here, it is like going back in time 30 or 40 years. And I love that about it. I mean, it is the style of play. So I wanted to address that, because I thought that I was in danger, really, of the two Premier League-centric. Because I do feel as if much of what we like or dislike about football tends to be what we like or dislike about the Premier League. Shadow is cast across everything. And I think that was a bit of a problem, really. So i, I talked to Andy a lot about it, and I was just going to kind of write it. My dad, I thought, why not get him to write it? Because I'm a lazy star. And so he, he did 11,000 words. I don't I think,
0: I don't it's, think really it's laziness. Good, you know, he can... I think it's knowing well, other people's strengths.
1: Well, that's right, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a very good way of putting mm. it, Jackie. But, you know, he it's very interesting because he basically concludes... The, see, the problem with Scottish football, obviously, at the top level, is that uh, it's, a, it's a two-team league and has been, except for that, the, the whole uh, Rangers business in the last few years, and has been really since the mid-'80s. Outside of that, it is an incredibly democratic club; Clubs absolutely everywhere. Scotland's a, a small country in terms of population with about five and a half million. It has hundreds and hundreds of football clubs, often two and three in small towns alone. It's football mad, and it has been. There's a good claim to say Scotland invented football in the modern sense that we know it. It certainly invented passing football mm-hmm. in the 1870s. But yeah, so it's uh, it was something I wanted to address, really, and, and also to break out of that Premier League bubble, which, as I say, is a it does kind of dominate our perceptions, I think, a little too much, though, understandably, given the amount of coverage it gets.
0: I wonder if it's very similar to music. Uh, and DJ Tease is the website for rock festivals and T-shirts and, unfortunately, post-Brexit, uh, a whomping great loss of money, which we can't go into <laughs> because I don't want to talk about Brexit because it's Christmas as this goes out. We're talking on the 6th of uh, December. But, yeah, in the way that major labels... Have acts who are too big to fail, Sheer and Swift, Adele, Dua Lipper. There's a whole industry who hopefully won't get wiped out of independent musicians or cottage labels like Mute. So I wonder if a lot of the fandom of football is concentrated at the fat end of the tail. but then there's this long tail where t-shirt sales and toilet circuit gigs, or the equivalent in football, really matter, and that as you appreciate the long tail. Uh, you start to feel an antipathy towards the big clubs because there's that 20% of nonsense that just isn't there at the lower levels. I
1: think that's a really good point, actually, you know, Jonathan. I, I really do. More than any time in my life, football uh, supporters is divided into basically two large groups. One is the big teams with a lot of money and there's everybody else. I'm very much in the everybody else, thankfully. I would hate to be a supporter of a big club. of Newcastle, and Mm -hmm. uh, I just feel as though that is two different universes now, but in Scotland that is much less the case. Um, The pyramid is very much squashed into more of an apple shape, Um, and you can still rise up through the leagues the way Edinburgh City are at the moment, and you can fall down, you know, one or two divisions as well. Uh, There isn't so much financial disparity once you're outside of uh, Celtic and Rangers between everybody. Um, and certainly, we're outside of Celtic, Rangers, Hearts, and Hip financial disparity. Ross County is a, just in a wee town, Dingwall, up north of Inverness, and uh, you know they're they're batting at the highest level. That is quite amazing, really. You know, with with that's what football's about to me. It's about this, It's about community. It isn't about big brands. Um, it isn't about corporate culture. It's about you and me. I actually address some of that in the book, because when I was growing up, football was just one thing. It was all seen as one game, all interrelated, all relied on each other. Um, and to some extent, everybody leaned on everybody else. You know, And maybe I'm just a romantical socialist, but I think that's a better way than just having an elite who tell everybody else to fuck off. Wow. And I just... You know, I just think that's evidently true. You know, that influences how we see and how we feel about the industry of football and the actual playing of football. Now influences us so much, it's almost hard to separate uh, how we feel about the industry from feeling about the sport, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, and the likes of Andy Holt are keen cheerleaders for what you call the cake. Uh, We worry about whether we like the icing when the cake remains as delicious as ever. So what you're saying is you like it iced... Like Accrington and not by the private finance initiative the p i f is it the p i f sound like an awful yes. uh, boy band p i f that you 'd get on the X factor, but with Amanda Staveley dancing as a backing dancer i I imagine yeah. you 've had a lot of thought about newcastle, but here 's my question: What happens if Joe Linton scores twenty goals this season? Your entire argument flies out the window have you ever do you ever Fear that he will score a hat trick, and that all those Joe Lintons, all that money.
1: <laughs> For one of my columns, I did write that. You seem to, yes, he is. He is both literally and emblematically what is wrong uh, with the world. Uh, no, poor lad, but it's not Joe Linton's fault per se. No. It's not, you know. He's just he's a beneficiary of a lunatic system, you know. And I just think it has to be pointed out. He's just it's so well. You know, on his eighty grand a week and his forty million pound transfer fee, for, frankly, an awful player. You know, and uh, <laughs> I suppose the stock clocks right twice every indeed every day. So, uh, well, the other he will
0: score a hat trick. The other stat is that Ruben Loftus Cheek, who barely gets in the Chelsea team, gets one hundred and seventy thousand pounds a week. That doesn't compute for me. This is a kid who can't get in the England team. Who's pays an astonishing amount of money, and the other stat is that for two and a half Joe Lintons, you can get what you call the closest thing to a maverick or an entertainer, um, your War Jackie Grealish. Yeah.
1: Well, exactly. I, I know that a lot of people get exasperated about the, the degrees of money that's spent in terms of transfer fees and in wages, and I do too. And, uh, and a lot of people then attack you for being exasperated by it because they think you're getting at the the man himself, and that isn't it at all. As I say, they're just the beneficiaries of this lunatic world. But as I say, they are emblems of essentially, you know, of the massive financial disparity, and which many people just have turned people off top-flight football and and turns people on or turns them towards more lower league or even amateur football, because they find that more satisfying in a kind of civic and social way, in a way... It's like shopping at a local independent store instead of shopping at Primark. Absolutely. If that's it, you know? So mm-hmm. that mentality, that attitude.
0: Well, we are talking on the 6th of December, tonight on ITV4, the well-known bastion of uh, entertainment. Boreham Wood, who are a professionally run side and players take youth coaching. They're at home in the second round of the FA Cup against St. Albans City. Owned by a guy called Lawrence Levy, they've got the best club ambassador in Britain, my great uncle Clive. And if St Albans win, they will be into the third round of the FA Cup, or if there's a replay, and we'll know who Boreham Wood and St Albans will get. If it is away at a top six club, that must warm the cockles of your downtrodden heart. If a team who are amateur or low paid professional play against the £800 million turnover elite. That's romance to you, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. And it's very much what um, football was founded on in this country, and especially cup football. It's interesting, really. When I was writing whether football was better in the old days or whether it wasn't, one thing I realised was that you can see great football at any level and you can see dreadful football at any level. It's very interesting, that, because all that was really distinguishing between the likes of Boreham Wood And if they say Drew Liverpool, it's consistency of brilliance. That's really what the difference is. Now, because you can see an amateur player hitting a 30-yard volley, or you can see the best international player do it. The only difference is the best international player will do it more often. But that doesn't really help on a game-to-game basis, does it? Because, you know, if if he's not doing it in the game you're at, and he keeps hitting it over the bar, in the Cristiano Ronaldo free-kick style, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's, it get, kind of gets tedious. And that's the very interesting thing about football, is it's such a variable art form. It isn't as simple as sort of, oh, you're in the sixth tier, this will be dreadful, everybody will be falling over and drooling on the pitch, and nobody will be able to kick the ball. Well, it's not like that, you know. And if you say, you go to a top-flight game, my God, we've all seen some bloody awful... Premier League games all of us you know that have just been so boring I mean I watched that Newcastle Norwich game and it was like it was, was how they did how to play football it felt like a mid table third tier game mm. and what I'm trying to get at is when we say something's better or something's better quality or good what do we really mean by that we all think we know what we mean the think what better means but what does it really mean to, in football terms now you can say it A better player is one who can control the ball better and do more tricks with it or something like that. And that, you know, there's no logic. But does that make it better entertainment all the time? No, it doesn't really, because football doesn't rely on you kind of getting down on your knees and worshipping because somebody did a step over. There's a lot more going on. There's a lot more emotional ties to things. Uh, Things are different when you're in a ground to what they do on TV. So larger sweeping movements tend to play better in grounds than intricate passing play. It isn't that straightforward, and like even games that are poor quality players, i.e., they can't control very well um, or, or do make it do what they want it to do all the time, they can be great, entertaining games, tremendous fun, you know, and like that's what we want. That's what we're there for. We're there for entertainment. It isn't an art gallery. It's supposed to be fun, and that's what that's why it's very confusing, is Once you start to delve into it, and why. I I mean, the reason I wrote it in the first place was because I was sick of seeing people saying, oh, these are sort of, like, like if it's third or fourth tier, then it'll be just dreadful, as though it's always great, you know, the further up you get. I mean, it's just a nonsense. Everybody knows that's not true. But it is assumed to be true by a large section of the annoying internet. So that's (laughs) why I set out to write it, really, to try and dig deeper into it, to find out what it all meant.
0: I've come up with something. I stumbled upon it with my chat with Bill Edgar the sabermetrician and triviest chap of the times. It is a new metric called expected joy, which you've been saying more or less what expected joy is. If you're going to see De Bruyne, you expect some left one through balls. If you go and see Pittenweem, then Ah. the joy that you actually get of Pittenweem coming back from 2-0 down with the winner from this chap, Rambo, um, the, the differential between the actual joy and the joy you expected when you went in, is vast. So when you see a top player doing something amazing, you you do nod and go, yep, that is what Lionel Messi is. When you see Rambo do it, you go, oh my God, anyone can do that. So yes, what do you say about this expected joy and its converse expected schadenfreude?
1: Oh, well, I love that. I love (laughs) that as a concept. I read about it the other day, and I think it actually gets to the core of what pulls us back to football all the time. Isn't it interesting that once you assume a player is really great, you think everything he does is really great, or on some sort of level, you judge them differently. So, uh, and if you think a player is rubbish, if he does something great, it seems like a greater achievement. So you can become cynical about very talented players uh, in a way that you're really not about uh, sort of amateur league players. But and that can actually lead you to undervaluing or overvaluing. Uh, what a top-flight player can do. Um, I was trying to think the other day, I I was talking about this, and I can't remember which goal it was, but there was a goal somebody scored in the Premier League last year, and it was a kind of classic volley from the edge of the penalty area into the top corner. It was a great goal. And I said, you know, you see that goal scored all the time in amateur football. Um, You see fantastic goals. It isn't all just sort of in off the knee from two yards out. And there is absolutely no difference between... Rambo doing it, and, you know, Mo Salah doing it. One, one, it's the same shot, goes in the same place, you know? And, and, it, and I think it should provoke the same level of joy. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it, it doesn't in the same way because
0: of what you expect going in. It's very interesting, that. Today's Elite game is the ordinary, sold as though it is extraordinary. And to learn about what Johnny thinks of the Elite game, it's, uh, can we have our football back? And can we have our football back now? Which was the, the update. I can't remember what it was called. And Who Ate All the Pies, which is all the stuff surrounding football, uh, as it was. So this is kind of, it's not a greatest hit, but it's like when this is not a good analogy. Robbie Williams put out an album called The Ego Has Landed, which was a combination of the first record and the second record. So this is your ego has landed. This is to remind people, if they've missed it, what a Johnny Nick book is like. But obviously in the football library, you are the hermit. You are constantly there, um, reminding people that football should be a, a paradise. But it is true that the elite level, which you do talk about in this book, especially usefully after 1992 and especially after 2005, you are, you are not a fan of the elite level, but someone of my age who was 18 in 2006 will have grown up not knowing anything different. They don't remember Alan Foggin trying to beat the offside trap in 1976. Uh-huh.
1: No, I mean, obviously this is the interesting thing about it because I was very well aware um, when I wrote, uh, when writing a book called um, "Was Football Break in the Old Days, that some of my critics would just think it was an old man going on about how now isn't as good as it was uh, at some undefined point in the past. And I wanted to avoid that because I don't necessarily believe that. Um, And and I I wanted to challenge myself and my own perceptions because as you get older... um, the one thing you, that annoys the hell out of me is how everybody goes on about how great things used to be, forgetting how fucking shite they were as well. I mean, you know, uh, this applies not just in football but in life generally. You know, you, think, you might think the charts are terrible now, but you know, in 1973, the charts were full of Perry Como and middle of the road, mm. and you know, it was just—it wasn't all fantastic, you know. And I, and I wanted to really, really wanted to give that a big swerve when writing the book Um, because also the important thing is uh, and I I didn't realise this going into writing it but I came out of it realising it was that actually I love football what I don't love is the business I mean I absolutely love watching Liverpool and I love watching them they have everything that I want out of football you know now you know off the pitch you know the the owners and everything and the money etc that's all another thing which might curdle your milk but just get over that white line and watch them play, and it's fantastic. Now, that is a sort of inherently contradictory position, it, it sounds like, but I don't think it is. I think it's the love of football remains and is constant, but everything else that goes with it is the thing that is objectionable and that you weren't, that we didn't used to worry about as much. Um, so I think that is too real, It's a really important distinction to make, and it's one that is conflated all the time as though you can't possibly enjoy football because of an owner. And, I, I mean, in Newcastle's case, it is difficult, I admit. Uh, but, you know, uh, by and large, uh, you can enjoy Aston Villa playing without knowing anything about who owns them. And I, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, it, is, it does compromise your moral kind of database in a way. But, um, but you know, our life does that generally, doesn't it? You know, so, you know, it's just another, another thing you've got to swallow down.
0: I think there's so much excutaneous nonsense. For the last 10 years, I've really tried to get down to what football is. And certainly in the last two years, talking to 200 people um, for this football library. uh, That's
1: amazing. There's a lot
0: of people. Like you wouldn't believe. Um, And some of them are fans. Some of them just concentrate on their own club. Uh, Some of them look at other clubs around the world or particular areas. Um, but the, the most interesting books are the ones which are subjective and objective. The ones that say, well, I like this or I don't like this. But objectively, this is popular. And we're now yeah. in this stage where the Premier League is 30 years old next year. So by gum, there are going to be some pieces on Football 365 going, the 30-year anniversary of football. And no one will ever mention that there was a football before it, apart from you in your columns. Um yeah. But the moment that football became modern or postmodern modern uh, now is I'll see you out there. And we've got Roy Keane still at the door of the football library whenever he's not doing punditry or walking the dog or talking to Gary Neville on his podcast. Uh, Roy Keane is on the door and there was that moment that you begin the book with just immediately before the players go out. Man, you Arsenal, when it was the fixture. Does that spirit still exist at all. No,
1: I, I think that's gone. That was the jumping off point for the whole book because I'd just come across the video of that um, uh, Vieira and King confrontation and uh, and I watched it again I must have seen it hundreds of times and underneath that there was just streams and streams of comments saying, oh, this is the good old days. Man, you don't see this anymore. This is when people had passion and really cared about it. Now it's all corporate. Now we're all friends, you know? And uh, And I thought, well, isn't that odd, really? Because it's just a short, two-minute incident. You know, it's and, and, you know, it's not it's not much in itself, but it stirs in people something. Do you know what it is? And I
0: thought, Do you know what it is? I, it's I, the it's Sex Pistols on Bill Grundy. It's what that yeah. is to punk.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. That's a good analogy. It's very much that. And uh, you know, I don't think um, I don't think it's uh, an emotion without value um, to miss that. Um, you know, you can be quite kind of lily-livered about it all, so. it's nice that people are nice to each other, and they're not kind of jabbing fingers at each other and everything. And you know, objectively, that um, uh, that is true. Um, you know, we don't want people to be horrible to each other. However, there is some delight in it, and it, and one of football's great uh, purposes was to always kind of contain, uh, but allow an expression of dislike and unpleasantness within a context where it was sort of safe to do so. And, um, and you know, that... But, but anyway, the, the regardless of that, I felt as though all those comments that underneath that, missing the days, were significant. Because I thought, if they're right, and if, you know, if football isn't as... doesn't stir the emotions the way it did, then, and yet it is more expensive and more exposed than it's ever been, then we we're in the middle of a giant con act, aren't we? You know, like they're trying to sell something, which is is sold to us as incredibly superior, but which is actually rather inferior to what came before. And, I th- and that's what that was. That was the spark that went off in my head that I thought, well, I've got to write about this and really get get to the core of it and what it means. Because interestingly, those first years of it wasn't really that different from the old First Division. You know, um, Norwich came third. Forrester up the, in the top bit, you know, and uh, even Sheffield Wednesday, and so it's like, you know, it was. I took that uh, Roman Abramovich taking over Chelsea as the, uh, which was the same year as that Viera Keaton, wasn't it? I think two
0: thousand five. Uh, uh, yes, a t- t- touch before, but two thousand five was, I think, when Chelsea broke through. Yeah, yeah,
1: and you know, I took that as a kind of notional time when football changed, when the big money really kicked in. I mean, there was still big money. I mean, we were paying Alan Boxage 64 grand a week at the borough in the late 90s for some god-awful reason. I don't know why. But, um, you know, and it had been around. But somehow that seemed emblematic of the change uh, when it stopped being, you know, a kind of local business and started to become a global business, if you like. And, um, uh, you know, and I, I, and that's a long time ago now, 16 years ago, man, you know. And mm-hmm. we've had a, a lot of footballers flowed under the bridge since then.
0: Yeah, and indeed at the bridge. So you're you're up in the Croft. Is it the west of Scotland now, you said?
1: Yeah, it's not a Croft as such, but uh, yeah, not not technically. It's just a large garden and woodland, which we've turned into a kind of agricultural production area. <laughs> very nice.
0: And I hope you were not disturbed. There was the East Coast, wasn't it, the power outages? I hope you get a winter yeah. that's fine.
1: No, we're fine. Actually, because this is the first time I've lived on the West Coast, Um grown up, obviously, on Teesside on the East Coast and then in, living in Edinburgh all those years and Fife. Uh, and it's much colder on the East than it is in the West, you know? It's just T-shirt weather most of the year here.
0: Do you get That's, El Nino uh, in uh, the kind of...
1: Uh, no, it's protected by the North Atlantic drift, uh-huh. I think.
0: There is a great line in your book, was football better in the old days, comma, or is now better than back. Then £10 in the paperback. You can get all three of them, all three of Johnny's books. Uh, Although, if you were to get every single Johnny Nick book, um, Uh, buy a new shelf space. Because you've got, is it 17 books in the Geimer series?
1: There's 15 Geimers and there's two other ones as well. So, yeah, yeah, I'm a bit burnt out. I've I've written 20 books in eight years and I I just feel a bit burnt out at the moment.
0: Well, that's why why in the football library, you're always there. You've got a home. Um, You and Wayne Barton and uh, Norman Giller, probably the most prolific. If if there was a book off, uh, it would be between you three. But uh, this book is it is sort of an amalgam. There's there's all kinds of commie, Johnny. You could there are chapters that you go. Oh, yeah, I know this one. I know this routine. It's like when Billy Connolly puts out a memoir, which is the most redundant book. Why is Billy Connolly putting out a memoir?
1: Well, I listened to that actually on Audible.
0: But you know and, all the gags. Um, you know I, all the I, stories.
1: I, oh, yeah, I've heard of most of it before. But it was very interesting, I thought. I really liked it. I really enjoyed
0: it. All right. Well, I, I'd read the tall, the wee stories and, uh, and loved the approach. So I might well get the new one. But everyone's getting that for Christmas. In fact, in Waterstones on Princes Street, there was a whole table. There was McCartney and Connolly. And I went, yep, that's, that's Britain. But none of yours. Your books available at johnnicholsonwriter.co.uk. Yeah. They were not well, at that, the... yeah.
1: That's because I don't sell mine to Waterstones.
0: And it was, it was delightful to get the sneak peek when I asked you, um, when I celebrated your birthday by email. Um, you said, yeah, I've got a book coming out. Only my editor knows about it. So I was waiting and waiting and kind of saying to people, please don't tell anyone, but Johnny Nick's got a book out. And it came out and um, it is full of wonderful lines. Before I forget, capitalism is 49 olive oils in the Edinburgh Waitrose.
1: The olive oil, oil thing is, is my uh, little uh, rant against the tyranny of choice uh, because I just feel as though uh, we're so choices like it's a holy thing. That is uh, the uh, key to the door of happiness, and I don't believe it is. I think more choice makes you more unhappy. Um, it's like having to choose between electricity suppliers. Uh, you know, you're not choosing, you don't get a different flavour of electricity. You just get a different letterhead, that's all. And uh, I just don't want to have to make that choice. All I want it to be is to, um, you know, I don't want all of the money that we're paying to it to be given out in dividends to people. And think it all be, the profit should be reinvested in the network. And I don't want to have to make a choice. Just give me the electricity and I'll pay for it. That's fine. When I went into, into um, Waitrose and counted forty nine olive oils, I thought this is the this is the tyranny of market politics. What's the point in being forty nine? Nobody can, you know, like. Oh, It's just no point in it. You can't. You want a cheap one, a a mid-priced one, an expensive one. That'll do. You know. I don't see why we have to. we through forty-six
0: other ones. (laughs) Hey, I wonder how many of those forty-nine have been on the shelves? What with the supply chain crisis. But enough about politics. You actually (laughs) no, because if you want a book where you have the words Stalinist and Maoist in the same sentence, (laughs) I like that bit. And that was like page three. So that's really, that's really a test to the, the reader. If you don't like where this is going, put it down, read Jamie Redknapp's autobiography. Have you read many football books this year? We should say this is the football library. You have access to all of your books and every other book to do with football. We've got Castel de Sangro in there now. Peter Schmeichel's book is surprisingly good. Have you been able to read for fun any football stuff?
1: No, that happens because I'm just too busy writing, um, I, and I I just don't read anywhere near as much as I should do. I really don't, and I have lots on a list to read, but never get round to it. Mm-hmm. This is why I've started with my with my, uh, my misses to Audible books in the evening because it's the only way I can get exposed to them. Uh, because I can't, I just can't sit and read because I'm always writing, so. I've just got so many uh, gigs on at the moment. And um, I, on top of doing my piece for the Irish Examiner and yep. doing my three-week football 365, I also do social media for Rock Candy Magazine, which is a magazine about uh, rock and metal of the 70s and 80s. So I, I do all that social media as well. So I'm, I'm just always up to my neck in something, but, which is kind of financially rewarding, uh, but less so um, it just denies you opportunities to do, you know, as much reading as you would like.